This podcast mixtape is presented by Basic Space, Future Commerce for Generation X. For more on Basic Space, please visit basic.space or download the app on your iPhone. You're listening to Own the Future. I'm your host, Jesse Lee. On this episode, we have Truman Sachs, the CEO and co-founder of Scout. For those interested in learning more about the resale market and the growing potential behind just sneakers and vintage fashion, this is a great listen. Plus, Truman's insight as a 19-year-old might help you see the future. Let's get right into it. So what's kind of happened over the years is that Nike and Adidas both have been slowly and slowly saturating and producing more and more pairs and kind of filling up the market and filling demand. And that's kind of killed profit margins from a reseller perspective, right? Back in the day, if you got a V1 turtle up, you were selling it instantly for $1,500. Now you get an easy V2 natural and it's going for barely $20 over retail. Like it's been a huge drop off. Yet the reselling industry, the amount of people who are entering this scene has been steadily increasing on a crazy income. So how does that dynamic work is kind of like the big question, right? Because as profits decrease, the number of users entering the market increases and it's been steadily increasing. But the thing that I, I kind of noticed as time has been going on with this interesting play is that as profit margins drop, it becomes less of a revenue stream for people and more of an entertainment outlet. So what's happening is, is that these resellers are by demographic, by age, are really in a high schoolers who are kind of looking for a more productive use of their time than video games. It's turning into an esport. They're using these bots and these and like buying these these hundreds or even just like five to ten pairs on their mom's credit card as a means of entertainment, right? They're literally treating it like a video game. And that's why you'll see there's these big sneaker YouTubers who are like live recording them using their bots and releases and are blowing up. Over a hundred thousand subscribers of him just this, I know there's one guy, Bader Boynova, who's he's great. He's literally details his journey of buying and reselling sneakers every week, and he live records his drops, his his bots, like going buying them, opening up the packages in the mail, listing them on StockX, and then showing how much he's making. Like people are really treating this as a video game, so it's kind of like gamifying this reselling experience. Then what I'm hearing is as the margins decrease, and the early adopters may eventually right kind of move off or get into other things. So to your point, actually, I think that might be the the white space for anyone, quote unquote, Gen Z going on like a speculative hunt over the bots and, and the products. And it provides adrenaline, right? It's part of gambling, exactly. part of playing games. And dopamine and yeah, the dopamine. Like, so like, I think if you get lucky, you might make some money. Worst case scenario, right. you spend some money and it's a hobby. Right, exactly. And I mean, look, at the end of the day, you're all, all, you're almost always breaking even um, at, at worst worst case. If you're going to be setting up all of your bots for release, it could take up to five hours. But that entire process, it's like it, it's not like a boring, laborsome work, strenuous work. It's you're excited about it because you're setting up to then on release day within the first 10 seconds, you know if you're going to get 100 pairs or you're not going to get any. So that adrenaline rush and dopamine hits really plays a huge part in it. I mean, yeah, like the things we're kind of trying to focus in on Scout now is kind of how to utilize this insight in the sneaker reselling industry, but also across all forms of of reselling and how we can build tools to kind of promote and emphasize this entertainment outlet aspect. I mean, just I'll show you the other day for the Mocha Drop, we kind of played and toyed with this concept, a Scout clubhouse, clubhouse where they had all these VC guys every night on a voice chat and kind of discussing. So we're like, hey, let's kind of just rip this concept and apply it to the sneaker body industry, right? 
So kind of like an hour before 30 minutes during drop time on Saturday, let's get all the top sneaker YouTube botters in a group chat in a live uh, a voice group and let's broadcast it. Let's have people be able to hear kind of the live insights and commentators of them using their actual bots during the actual drop. So cutting the soft launch went pretty well. And I think that's just kind of one example of how we're going to try to take advantage of this. But what's, the, what, what's that conversation like? I, I'm familiar <laughs> with Clubhouse, obviously. But like what, so what did everybody talk about for discussing bots? I mean, really kind of, they kind of went into their different backgrounds, how they kind of got there, but also really just discussing like which bot, they, the strategies of which bots are going to use on which sites, what kind of, how they're going to set, like customize the settings in their bots where they sell their shoes, um, how much they're expecting these shoes to go for, like you said. Really just all like an all-encompassing discussion. But, but it's also crazy because you're, you're never actually seeing any of these people in real life. Right. Right? So even I, I, COVID and post-COVID, right? I, you probably, I think we talked about this, so I don't even know. Do you even know what your co-founders look like? <laughs> I've met them two or three times. Count them on my fingers. Yeah. And I've been working for them every single day for three years. One of the questions I had for you is, you're 19 still? Last I yeah. checked, you're 19, you're still 19. <laughs> um, so just from a consumer side, right? Like how do you see technology then, we just talked about it, impacting or influencing like you as a consumer, right? Because I think what I'm trying to do with our yeah. business and what we do, right? Is like, it always starts with the insight of the audience, right? Millennial, Gen Z, whatever you want to call it. And again, helping create the paradigm shift, being half a step ahead, because sometimes if you're too far ahead, timing is everything, right? And if the market doesn't uh, adopt it and it, it's a little too early, right? That's a bad thing right. too. So you want to be just like a half a step ahead. With all that said, what is your general sense of though, right? Like how technology and innovation impacts you as a consumer? Any like pros and cons that you can allude to? So I think a really um, interesting example that kind of personifies exactly what you just described, um, that dynamic of how technology has influenced us over the past few years and our shopping experiences can be seen kind of like the, with the mom and pop shop stores on Melrose versus StockX and Go. In theory, StockX and Go are both funded billion dollar companies and they should, in theory, be the only places you should be buying sneakers as a consumer. It's You don't have to leave your house. It's on an app. You get them authenticated 100% and they come to your door no problem. How is it possible that the in-person stores on Melrose and obviously the Melrose is in um, New York, wherever that is, uh, are still thriving, thriving and and growing month over month. How is that possible, right? Right, that all the technology in the world will point you to believe that stockings and goat are, should be 100% killing them. How are these uh, stores still thriving and growing? And the answer is, I mean, I think you know more about this than I do. These in-person stores on Melrose are kind of promoting and emphasizing the in-person shopping experience. And that in-person trying on, feeling it, kind of talking to the stores rep, that really that luxury buying experience is something that you'll never get by going on an app and just clicking buy. And I think that I genuinely think that people are willing to pay the 20 to 30% margin markup markups that these stores are making you pay on Melrose versus a StockX or Goat app just to kind of have that experience. And they don't care if they're already paying, shelling out over $600 for a shoe, they're going to pay that extra 150 bucks to be able to go and get that big bag and walk out the store with it and take the Snapchat video of them buying it hundred percent. Unless these websites, I mean, like I said, you're the person to talk to about this can really adopt and understand and kind of create that digital, that, that in-store IRL experience online. You'll always have these retail stores online will never win hundred percent. Yeah. In real life shopping experience, 
at least in the foreseeable future, I think can't be replaced. I think for certain product categories, convenience is a huge play. So obviously ordering online and all that makes sense over and over. But I think anything, what I'd like to call like sort of like fidelity end, meaning they're like special. So it's more yeah. of a fidelity play versus a convenience play. Because even at the end of the day, right, like sneakers too, especially for collectors, right? It's it's a textural experience for a lot of them too. So I think going into the store, seeing it, smelling it even, I mean, yep. literally, I'm sure, yep. you know, like when I was younger, literally <laughs> some of my friends would sniff them or like literally lick the bottom of the soles, right? Because they're that's how they keep them cleaner than anything else they have in their whole household, right? I've been there. Like, there's like that, <laughs> yeah, IRL element that you can't quite replicate online, no matter the AR, the VR technology. And what we always like to say too is like, not only does it have to look right online, it has to feel right, right? So even like a user experience, customer experience, whether it's IRL or URL that's the hard thing to crack. And I think ultimately, even hopefully post COVID or the new 2021 and beyond will be, you know, I think it's important that like, there's the right balance of IRL and and URL. Um, And yeah, and I think the right companies will find a way to explore and exploit in a positive way that benefits their business, you know, and it can't just be one or the other. And I think that's what I always realized in talking to different brands and retailers too, is like, I think too many people, focus too much on one versus the other. A lot of the brick and mortar stores that I used to go visit are now out of business because they never quite adopted to or adapted to the e-com world. And then some of these marketplaces and e-com companies and sites that we all know over the last 10 years, they over-index and emphasize the convenience play and don't seem to understand sometimes, not all, but that there's like an IRL component, a textual experience that you have to provide. Convenience might be what hooks people in, but I think it's the experience that creates LTV and like true loyalty, which is also why some of these luxury brands that we all know, right? You have a multi-decade long experience or relationship with these brands. Like if you're a parent or whatever, and if they love Chanel, that's like a 50 year old relationship. Yeah. And I think you're right. And I think that's an interesting insight, even coming from you, who obviously like your main business is all about making things quick and fast and and seamless. But then you're, I I appreciate the fact that you still understand the importance of that IRL experience. I used to go to the stores when some of these stores that are still around, some aren't where the in-store experience was amazing. It was a unique experience and you discover, and there's a curation element with, you know, what's on the wall, the music, the staff, like everything, right. Is an experience. Some of these stores on Melrose, I'm just driving by. So I haven't walked in but they don't even seem that curated well compared to what I would assume. I don't know. Right. I'm just like, unless it's like for a different generation, I guess. But like when I just drive by, I'm like, it doesn't look like they've done much to the space. I think it's interesting. I think your point is, is, is true, but you have to understand that in your day, the the kind of the bar for what you had to consider a amazing in-store experience was set very high. And your traditional in-store shopping experience I don't think is necessarily around or as universal today as it used to be just because with the rush and yeah. shift everyone online. So I think that now because of that, because everyone has kind of rushed and shifted online and really just cared less about the in-store shopping experience, the bar has been really lowered. On the e-com side or digital, right? It's gotten so sophisticated and seamless, obviously hundred times better than what it was 10 years ago. But on the flip side, what you're basically saying is that from an in-store experience, it's gone the other way. So now the barrier, the bar for that 
in-store experience is actually flipped, right? So yep. it provides potentially an opportunity for others to exploit yeah, that. Yeah. But also one interesting thing, which I've seen as a pattern across all these people who do go and invest in that in-store experience is the content and media aspect to it, right? The reason why they can afford to kind of stick with that status quo bar level, whether it's like just what, why is this place so special is because they've artificially created a brand and kind of celebrity status around the employees and people that kind of work and run the shops, which I don't know if you've seen. No, it was all of that, right? It's literally like sitting in the stoop and like you recognize the store manager, they know you, they hook you up with discount or free stuff. And some of them are my friends who started bigger brands. No, I think it's a similar, it's probably delivered in a different way, but I think the personalities and the sort of the celebrity might be a strong word, but like the influencer aspect of people, right? I'm sure it's, it's similar. It it probably hits differently or it's sort of like, (laughs) but I think it's, it's all human connection, you know? And I think that's what um, I think is interesting to hear from you too, because my assumption would have been before this convo, just knowing you a little bit and what you do, right. Is that like, you'd be fully on the other side only. Right. But then you, 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 but you seem to have a good balance and appreciation for what's going on IRL. And I think, yeah, it's finding the right connectivity. Definitely. The 10 episode compilation is produced by Westwood Westwood and edited by Jason Stewart.